We're living in the age of podcasting, which also means the age of podcast networks with large back catalogs, long-running series, limited programming, and even cross-network collaborations. How are publishers supposed to keep this all organized? With Spreaker, of course. Spreaker's customizable publisher plan lets you organize your content exactly how you want it and gives you enough pod tech tools to monetize the largest back catalogs. If you're into premium offerings for subscribers, check out Spreaker's customized RSS feeds to upload and schedule exclusive content with ease. Or use our campaign manager to manage different campaigns from one central platform. Once your podcast business gets big enough, you can even add multiple networks to one account and collaborators assigned to each one. That helps keep the true crime series away from the comedy podcasts and make sure you get the advertisements that will resonate the most with your listeners. So let's move from the age of podcasting to the age of the podcast network with Spreaker. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. looking at me unless you're watching on uh, Periscope. Uh, be listening to me. I'm Leslie Marshall. Good afternoon. Happy Friday. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk uh, here on the NRM Streamcast, the Progressive Voices Network, and every radio and stream and podcast uh, that you listen to this show through. We really appreciate your support. We're so excited. Every week we have thousands more joining us, and we're glad to have you partake and join us today. I'm very excited to have today one of my favorite guests on the show. I guess I should say favorite if I'm really kissing up, right? Uh, he is uh, President Tom Conway. President Conway is president of the United Steelworkers, the USW. He was elected by the International Executive Board to succeed retiring international president, one of your very favorites, Leo W. Girard, as leader of the United Steelworkers, the largest industrial union in North America. And uh, that became effective July 15, 2019. But previously, President Conway served as international VP, a position he held since March of 2005, re-elected not once, not twice, not three, but four separate times. And during his 14-year tenure as international vice president, President Conway became the union's most experienced contract negotiator in steel, aluminum, oil, and other major industries where USW members work, often directing bargaining during crises. He's a United States Air Force veteran. Thank you for your service, sir. Grew up in a union family in New Jersey. His father was an active member of the International Union of Operating Engineers, so he is a union family guy. And his mother, she worked in a brush factory, and she successfully organized a union and negotiated labor contracts. I'm sure they're quite proud of their son, 
uh, following in their footsteps and achieving the position of president of this great union. Uh, Tom's been on the show many times over the past decade. Last time, October, always a force in advocating for the working men and women of America. Somebody's got to speak out and stand in the gap uh, because certainly a lot of the corporations and a lot of the government officials nowadays don't do that. More than a pleasure to welcome back uh, president of the USW, uh, Mr. Tom Conway. President Conway, thank you for rejoining us, especially on this Friday with your busy and packed schedule. Thank you for taking the time. Good afternoon. Oh, Leslie, thank you. Thanks for that nice introduction. It's always good to be on your show. And it's always good to, uh, to have uh, have you with us. Um, I forgot you're from Jersey originally. Uh, my mom uh, was yeah. from Brooklyn, but then moved to Fort Lee. So uh, who knows? We're probably uh, my Irish side, uh, a roundabout way uh, related. I hope so. Um, <laughs> Let, let, let's talk about um, uh, America's infrastructure, and more specifically, how our nation's infrastructure and, and the manufacturing job loss that we've seen, how it got this bad. Because right now, we got a lot of people saying, even on the right, left and right, Mr. President, bring our jobs back. He promised to do that. Mr. President and everybody out there, social media, on radio programs like mine saying, China bad, America good. Made in China bad made in America good. So how did we get here? Because, you know, President Conway, when I was a little girl, I will never forget this. I was in a, um, a thrift shop with my grandmother and she was looking at some teacups and I found one I really liked. She liked teacups with roses on them and she flipped it over and she goes, this one's not a good one, put it back. And I said, why not? And she said, see that? And it said made in China. And that's that's how I was brought up to believe and many of us were brought up to believe and were raised, but things did change. So how did our infrastructure, how did the job loss in manufacturing get this bad, President Conway? Well, you know, if you listen to economists, they'd like to have you believe that there's this magic hand of the market. And that really is sort of God controls this stuff. And, and the market just takes care of itself and it flows. But the truth is, it's done and it's created by a series of laws that are created by men and lawyers and sharp people who have figured out how to take advantage of low labor costs, how to take advantage of no environmental laws, how to go and exploit other places and make a lot of money in the process. And so the trade place that we find ourselves in and the economists who like to tell us well, it's just the, the invisible hand of the market who does this is nonsense. It is the invisible hand of the capital that wants this to happen this way. And finally, I think the country, in the, in the most sad, eye-opening way, realized here in the last couple of months that we couldn't even find masks for our people to, to staff the hospitals, and healthcare centers, and we didn't have ventilators, and we didn't have gowns, and we didn't have the fundamental things that America had didn't have to fend off this virus. And it took us a scramble and a failure of this administration to invoke the Defense Production Act and to finally begin to turn the table to build the capacity to do that. And, and while we see that now, and it's pretty glaring, and the states had to get in bidding wars and go to Asia on their own and buy materials. That exists throughout our entire supply chain. 
and it just showed up here because we need it so bad. But after decades of this sort of free trade mentality that's out there, and we don't have to make anything on our own, it's beginning to show itself. It's very strained. And America's not going to find itself out of this economic deep crisis that we're in right now if we don't begin to make things here on our own, add value to them, put capital and labor against them, and bring them to a market here. And if we keep thinking that we can just buy them cheap from somewhere else while we don't have jobs ourselves, we've run out of runway on that. And so the country needs to have really a fundamental discussion with itself about what it's going to do about its manufacturing base and how it's going to preserve and protect it and regrow it. And, um, and I think we're at that point in time. I think, I think the country has had its eyes opened in a shocking sort of a way. Um, we now have 40 million people put out of a job over a two and a half month period. And they're beginning to look around and say, well, there is something that's fundamentally broken about this system. And, and we've got to do something about it. And kicking the can down the road isn't going to do it. This is going to take real infrastructure. I mean, if you, if you think about our infrastructure, we just had dams fail in Michigan and wipe out an entire community in Midland, Michigan, and flood entire towns on dams that we knew were faulty. And for the past 20 years, have been warned that these dams are going to fail. And that's the condition of our bridges and our roads and our water systems. We, we leak 2 trillion gallons of fresh water a day in this country just because our water systems are broken. And our electrical system is old and it's weary. And it, it's not as efficient as it should be. The yield drop across our grid is just really unacceptable. And so those are the things that form a country's ability to really be efficient. And you cannot put them off forever and ever and ever and expect that, um, that bad things aren't going to happen. And, and that's what we're faced with now. So this is a time for the country to really take stock of itself, kind of reinvent itself, do some progressive things for people who have done some heroic things uh, for the nation. I mean, we have, we, we, we're calling all these people essential workers and we're paying them $9 an hour. Yep. And it, it, it's, it's, it's really comes to a point where you cannot have a country that just keeps chasing itself to the bottom and not have an effect over it. Absolutely. And very well said. Uh, we're heading into a break, but I think if anything, um, if, if we have to say there's any good that's come out of COVID-19, for some people would say, well, families are having dinner together. But I, I think two things as a nation is one, it has uh, put a spotlight on our dependence of products that are made overseas and the danger of that with China dominating the global market in industries like you had said, President Conway, production and distribution of critical health equipment like PPE, ventilators, pharmaceuticals. Uh, and we also have seen what's happened 
with ventilators from China, which is they're faulty. They're like those three T-shirts for 10 bucks that fall apart after one wash because you do get what you pay for and you do get crap if it's made uh, in China. And then, of course, they've always been essential workers. But with COVID-19, now many of us really know and are starting to really appreciate these people who are truly essential. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with President Conway right after this. I'm Leslie Marshall. Stick around. Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We are back with President Tom Conway, President of the United Steelworkers. President Conway, thank you for holding. Uh, welcome back. Um, you were talking before the break about the United States lacking the ability to produce essential healthcare items to fight this uh, virus, COVID-19, and the leaders who had no clear plan for how to ramp up production and prepare the country uh, for crisis. And you spoke of the Trump administration failing to invoke the Defense Production Act. Now, I know that's a law from the 1950s. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, does it just enable the federal government to say to American factories, hey, you got to do this. You got you got to produce this. Um, uh, tell us because this not only could help with manufacturing, but it certainly would assist with our nation's security. Look, it essentially does that. Where the 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 president and the government can go to a company and order them to retool if necessary, but to switch their production into something that the country needs. And it's not as if it's not. Use. There have been times when FEMA has enacted the Defense Production Act when we've had other um, disasters and we needed products to go into an area that had been devastated by tornado or flood or other natural disasters. And, and But this time, Trump really did not want to do it because you know, it, it's, it's uncomfortable for companies. They don't want to have to do it. But the, company, the country needs those things to move forward. So I don't think it's the, I, I think it's not the first resort. I think we need companies who are in that business here all the time. And so that you have a steady supply chain built up that's always in business because there's always a need for these things, but that has the capacity to sort of step up and gear up to meet spikes and needs. And you can do that. But if you don't have any of it, if you've let it all go, and no one in your country anymore makes these things, then you really find yourself in a deep hole. And that's essentially where we found ourselves in, in this sort of N95 mess that's been so important for healthcare workers to be able to access and ventilators and, and so many other things. So, you know, you can't just let it all go and hope that nothing's going to happen. It, it's foolish. It's foolish thinking. And, you know, on the trade stuff, Trump has thrown a lot of tariffs around and and makes a lot of hay with them. But the big problem globally is overcapacity. And China in particular, but other nations, but China has created a, a big overcapacity 
and they depress global prices. They make it really hard for companies to be able to get a good return on their investment because they can drive the price so cheap. And so if you're going to change China's mind in the way that they're doing that, you're going to need allies in the rest of the world where they can go sell that stuff to work together to everybody to turn to China and say, no, this behavior is predatory. You can't Mm -hmm. do it. It's not in line with the agreements you made with us, and you're not going to be able to sell it here. And if you can build enough coalition to do that, you can then change China's behavior. But Trump instead went out and picked a fight with the entire world because he likes picking fights. And so he solved no problems at all and probably created more than he needed to. And so his approach on trade hasn't been to solve the problem. His approach has been to get himself a headline. And the headline is fleeting, and it's and it, and it doesn't really fix the underlying problem we have here. You know, uh, this is just a manifestation of a much larger problem. Like you said, it, it's not just trade policy now. It's decades of uh, trade policies. Um, what we have found now is that it, really sad superpower leader in the world nation such as us is not even a- able to, even right now, continue uh, able to provide for ourselves in times of a crisis like this, like COVID-19, there could other be there could be other crises, uh, you know, other natural disasters, war, uh, God forbid, or um, other kinds of uh, health issues, viruses like this uh, on the horizon. Let's look back at some of these uh, bad trade policies. Did it start with NAFTA? Uh, which shifted manufacturing to countries that had, you know, cheaper labor and environmental regulations that were looser. And we saw, um, you know, areas like the car industry, uh, heavy equipment parts, textiles, clothing, rubber products, furniture, valves, bearings, brake uh, calipers and appliances uh, go out the door, costing the U.S. one million good family sustaining manufacturing jobs. Uh, But then China Uh, and other countries being allowed to dump, certainly unfairly, steel, glass, tires, and paper uh, into our markets and selling those at cheaper prices, undercutting our ability as American manufacturers to even compete in the market. Are those the two main culprits here, or do you see more, President Conway? Look, I think there are more, and I think NAFTA was sort of one of them, an early one, a beginning of it, and, and one that we were familiar with. But um, it's it's what sort of underlies what's going on in the European Union. A lot of resentment against the European Union. It brought about this Brexit, which is so problematic now in the UK. And NAFTA here costed, um, you know, it cost millions of jobs in the US. And and when you lose three or four million jobs, you you really do have a problem. I mean, look what we're struggling now. And we have 40 million Americans out of work. We have lost 4 million jobs that people had good family-sustaining lifestyles on. They had a good wage. And we've allowed them to sort of slip between our fingers because you think you can get it cheaper somewhere. It's going to be cheaper in a big box store. And and that sort of short-term mentality really is beginning to show its strains. And... You know, everybody thinks, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make a lot of money because I'm going to get something made cheap in China. And and in the short term, some of them may, but many of them are finding out in the long term. um, 
if you don't have a market you can sell it to, if you're not having a, if you don't have a good quality product, um, it, it doesn't last. And and you've got to build businesses that last and that that people can have sustained um, jobs with. So, look, the displacement has been significant. Um, our failure to invest in our infrastructure is is just critical. We were at a critical point at it. And at a time when we need to find work for people, here is a project that with a relatively modest investment in what we need to do, we could train people. We could train a workforce. These are real well-meaning jobs. We could build a lot of skills in a younger workforce that's looking for a place to work doing our infrastructure and doing it right and, and outfitting our homes and making them just stop the leakage that comes out of the lost heat from our homes, of the lost water that we lose every day, of sustainable ways of going forward with energy. I mean, there's so much we could do on infrastructure that yep. creates really good jobs for people and you know what we're going to talk about that after this break i i apologize uh, so much to interrupt we're going to take a quick break we're That's up fine. against a hard break here uh, president conway quick break and we come back we'll talk about that infrastructure investment a significant investment and how best our nation could do that go Friday, they're on with President Tom Conway, president of the United Steelworkers. Check out their all the great things they're doing to, at their website, USW.org. Also on Twitter, follow them at Steelworkers, on Instagram as well, at Steelworkers, and back with the head of those great Steelworkers, uh, President Tom Conway. President Conway, thank you for holding uh, welcome back. Sorry to jump on you there. Uh, we were up no, against a hard break. But you were talking about infrastructure investment. And, um, you know, I have heard you, I have heard the USW, I have heard other union leaders talk about a way to help reignite domestic manufacturing would be through a significant inv infrastructure investment. And if it's done properly, it could not only put Americans back to work, but directly improve the health and safety of millions of those American workers. Can you talk to us about what a significant infrastructure investment would look like? Look, I think you got to start with like a trillion dollars more, but you have to make that investment in the country and in our dams, in our, in our locks and our waterways and our, in our roads and bridges and our electrical grids in our homes. I mean, if you think about if we developed a program that we could go into every home and put in high efficiency equipment, both in the kitchens and in your dryer and washer and your hot water heater, we could save a tremendous amount of energy need, stop a whole lot of leakage in houses with just simple caulking programs and train people on how to do that. And that work could go on for years and years and, and get a lot of people the skills they need while at the same time, we're, we're saving a lot of energy. We're doing some smart stuff in, in just the infrastructure of our homes. But, but our nation's ability for commerce to flow and to do it in an efficient manner and for us to be as productive as we can requires us to make that investment. And that investment was made 
years ago in our in, in our interstate systems, and the country invested a lot of money in building an interstate system, which gave rise to an automobile industry, which gave rise to so many other middle-class jobs and those jobs that built this nation. And without that initial investment where people had roads to drive their cars on, America would not be what it is. And so we need to think about that going forward, that we need to rebuild ourselves. We need to build electric bus systems and we need to build an electrical grid system and all the training and transportation infrastructure that could go into that. And our bridges, the people who assess bridges in our nation, the the engineering um, organization who pays attention to it, they rate our nation's bridges on the whole at a D plus. Our bridges are old. Our, our, our ability to cross our rivers and our spans of mountains need attention. And you cannot just run things into the ground and run to failure and then hope for the best. It's just a foolish approach. And instead, we do a tax break for the very, very wealthy and a bunch of corporations to not pay money. And we hand them the equivalent of that money to do that infrastructure investment. And they're not going to do that with that money. You know, what are, so they're going to buy some more rich people stuff. You're going to buy some more <laughs> yachts or a couple more sure. diamonds. Or I, I don't know what you're going to do with it, but you're not going to make that kind of investment in spite of what they say. And so it is sort of a societal issue and it's a role of government and a, and a government that's serious. When this president ran, he said he was going to do an infrastructure investment program. And it was one of the first things he talked about when he was coming down the escalator and he's never done it. And in fact, when it got very serious, he told the Democrats, well, if you're going to investigate me, I'm not going to do infrastructure with you. And it's that sort of childishness and foolish approach to failure and the uh, willingness to let the country continue to fail because of your ego. And, and we just need to change things and need to get serious about an infrastructure program in our country. Uh, absolutely. I mean, leaders, you are a true leader. You lead by example, uh, President Conway, and that's what any president of a nation should do. Um, earlier in the show, you talked about that dam failure disaster in Midland, Michigan, that devastated the community, displaced thousands of people, and demonstrates the high stakes for proper infrastructure investment. Um, you also mentioned that officials have known for decades, over 20 years, that the nearly 100-year-old Edenville Dam was inadequate for holding back water levels of that magnitude, yet the federal government failed to invest in fortifying it. It, it left the, the state and our nation vulnerable, and we're already in a pandemic. So my question to you is, what I don't get, President Conway, is the politicians, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, in the various states, Michigan is one example, where they have a bridge, where they have a dam that has a D or F rating, because uh, we've seen our infrastructure uh, very poorly uh, rated across the board. Why aren't they doing more to push their party and this president, especially if they're a Republican, to fix it? Because if nothing else, it helps them on a local level get reelected for the House or the Senate next time around, because the people will say, hey, they did something for me here in Michigan, 
And and obviously that isn't the case. So this to me shouldn't be political. This to me is common sense. and can help somebody politically, whether they're red or whether they're blue. Look, I this whole question, Leslie, frankly, drives me crazy. And I sort of go to the old adage, just follow the money. And so if a group of if a community of people in Midland, Michigan, and all of those people who work there, and this covered a big area of people who were struggling with a virus, and now their homes are wiped out and they're under 25 foot of water. But they weren't making a lot of campaign contributions. The people making a lot of campaign contributions were the people who were doing all the offshoring, who were making all the short-term money. And so if someone came to them and needed a $10,000 campaign contribution, that was a rounding error for them. And in the end, that's what happens with our political system. And people look to where the money's flowing into them. And if it's not flowing in from communities like Flint, who are forced to get their water out of bottles now and still years after that system's yeah. been opened up and and it's not it's sort of not where their bread is buttered and so it's such an unfortunate system that America's fallen into it but it is kind of you know you just follow the string of money and you follow who's important and if you're going to give tax breaks to a whole bunch of people who can then afford to fund your next campaign and you can never get put out of office, what do you really care about a bunch of people who really are never going to send you a campaign? Or, I mean, you're going to be, and there are good, good, decent people in political office who want to do the right thing, but they are up against this system of campaign finance and Citizens United and all kinds of money that flows in from all sorts of places that inhibits America's ability to take care of itself and move forward. And, and the role of government that, that I always thought was to stand between the powerful and those who weren't has been lost. And it, it's now in the hands of lobbyists and corporations and people who can write the laws for their own benefits. You wrote a, a blog that was titled America's Infrastructure Crisis. And you talk about when Donald Trump became president, pledging a $1 trillion national infrastructure program. You talk about his failure to deliver any rebuilding campaign at all. And and to your point just now, that Americans still drive over decrepit bridges and raise their families in the shadows of uh, aging dams. Was Donald Trump four years ago disingenuous when he made that pledge because of that follow the money uh, you know, I, idea, uh, President Conway, or do you think well, that's something I, I he, think, he wanted to do and then found it wasn't going to be beneficial to, the, to him financially? Look, I think he ran up against his party. If he meant it, he, he should have been able to follow through because clearly his party does anything he tells them to do. They're terrified of him. And, and the truth is, he knew it was an important issue for people in the country, and he knew he could rhetorically speak about it and get elected and then do nothing about it. And mm. that's what I think his mode of operation is. And I think we see it more and more as time goes on. So, look, he's been very good at sort of um, 
measuring the angst of people and playing on it and dividing with it and and convincing people that he's on their side and then doing nothing with it and he's he's got a history of it and absolutely you know, a history of a history of broken promises all the way back to his state company and his wine company and his university very very so, very very true. Mr. President, we'll be with you in just a moment. Mr. President Tom Conway, President of the United Steelworkers, is our guest. Keep watching. If you're on Periscope, keep listening every other way you get this show. I'm Leslie Marshall. Don't go away. More about our infrastructure system right after this. Don't go away. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. We are back with President Tom Conway, president of the Great Union, the United Steelworkers. Check out their website, USW.org. Follow them on Twitter and on Instagram, at Steelworkers. Uh, back with President Conway. And for those of you holding through the break or just joining us, uh, thank you for doing so. Uh, President Conway, we were talking about infrastructure. And uh, three years ago, the American Society of Civil Engineers gave the infrastructure in the United States uh, an abysmal D-plus rating. Americans make 188 million trips across thousands of deteriorating bridges each day. Uh, there are breaks in aging's pipes that waste more than 2 trillion gallons of treated drinking water every year. Uh, you talked about Flint, Michigan, the water crisis there. Uh, our nation depends on electrical lines quickly reaching the end of their life expectancy. People forget. I think they think of just bridges, uh, just um, you, you know, just dams when it comes to uh, infrastructure. Um, obviously, if you don't have electrical lines reaching uh, where they need to go point A to point B and they're at the end of their life expectancy, the possibility uh, in the future or in the present into the future of more frequent power outages is a given. So infrastructure failures threaten our lives, threaten our properties. They disrupt the operation of entire cities. They staunch the flow of commerce. They also interfere with our national security, correct? Yes. Look, a lot of the same materials that go into having a sound infrastructure, go into having a sound defense, and maybe not directly in munitions, but if you can't move your materials across your country, if your railroads aren't in good repair, if your roads aren't in good repair, if your airports are old and dilapidated, and you can't move the the things you'll need at the time of national defense, you're going to be disadvantaged. And so the, the idea that infrastructure is just about transporting people across bridges is really sort of naive. I mean, we, we really need this in so many ways. And, and Americans have this great common sense and, and sort of know, look, if I don't do repairs on my car, if I don't take care of my home, if I don't take care of my property, and I just let it get run down, it's going to fail. And that's what we're doing with our infrastructure. And we can't do it any longer. We have to be able to take a look at it. And, and I think this COVID virus, as difficult as it is, we're going to be in a, in, a, in a slow period of recovery in some of our manufacturing sectors. And developing and quickly 
going to work on an infrastructure program can help us tremendously, both in the short term to find jobs for people and in the long term in the health of our country. And so as we're thinking about what the country is going to do going forward, we can't minimize this. And I want this country back up and open and running more than anyone else. I mean, our folks work for a living and want to be at work. But you have to do it safely and you have to do it smartly. And you can't whistle past the graveyard to use a really lousy phrase about this one. If you think about this, we're at 101,000 lives lost. And people will say, well, it's a majority of really elderly people. Uh, Maybe it's not so bad. Mm -mm. If you take that and divide that by 143, which are the number of seats on a 737, and think about crashing in America 12 and 13 airplanes a day and killing everybody on board, we would be beside ourselves. We would be in such a panic. But we're sort of being told now, oh, you don't need masks. You don't need to worry about this. Just go back to your regular routine. That's not good for the working public. It's not good for working peoples. We have to go back when it's right, when it's safe, when we know our workplaces are safe, and we have a sound system to not see this happen to us again. Absolutely, without question. Um, Would you say that Buy American provisions are crucial to the success of uh, being a part of a long-term infrastructure program? I, I don't know how people think it's wrong to use American tax dollars to rebuild your own country. And I think other nations around the world do it as a matter of course and think nothing of it. And without these series of trade agreements that have come about that sort of hamstring us in that area. But I think that is a fundamental sort of right, a sovereign right of a nation that You know, if I'm going to rebuild my country and I'm going to pay to do it, I'm going to get the jobs out of it before anyone else does. I don't think that's protectionism. I just think it's a smart investment of your tax dollars. And instead, you hear such crazy arguments about it, like, well, we've got to open bids up to to China. That's just chasing the cheapest way out. And in the end, you're going to end up with people without jobs and your investment and your infrastructure coming from someone else and somewhere else in the world. And it's just not a good economic model to promote any longer. And it's never been good. And it's showing itself to be really faulty and flawed. Well, the other thing is we're not just putting America's ba- Americans uh, back to work by expanding the nation's manufacturing capacity. We're also uh, ensuring that we have the highest caliber craftsmanship, um, because you know there not just environmental and, and and labor issues in China and other countries overseas uh, that you know and, and low paying and you know almost uh, indentured servitude or slave labor practically uh, with the wages that they're getting there, uh, but here in the United States. Um, you know, because we have regulations and because we have unions and union workers, um, we're going to have the highest caliber craftsmanship, correct? So in other words, you know, we are getting what we pay for, but we're getting something that's going to last, which in the long run 
is, you know, if, if you have to keep buying something over and over because it's not made well and it breaks, uh, that, that's not cost effective. So this is a win-win. You put more people back to work, but at the same time, you get a better product and that product's going to last longer. Look, I don't think there's any question that people think American-made products are good products out in the world market, wherever they are. And, and even better than that, people do rely upon a union label. And they understand that a union-made product, there's a quality and a professionalism that goes into it. And it's a product that's worth in buying and keeping because you're going to have it for a long time. So I, I think people understand that. But they get pushed with a price point. And when there aren't many decent jobs and people scrap for a living and you put in front of them the three T-shirts for $10, they go for the cheap price and yep. to get through the day. And that's that's the the problem that we're faced with. And And not everything can always be about the cheapest price if, in fact, it's going to lead to that no one's going to be able to afford any of it. And, and I think we've found that such a big segment of our economy is really working at wages that are non-sustainable for themselves, for their families, and, and, and that they're people that we rely on. And they're first responders, and they're our teachers, and they're our librarians, and there are people who are in our healthcare systems and they're running our transportation systems and they're putting themselves at risk and we don't pay them for it, but we expect them to do it. And I think that and young people in this country have just sort of, frankly, had an asshole of it. And I think you're going to see a change in the way America thinks about these things and the way young people think about doing things collectively and organizing collectively and and are demanding a change in a way the country works economically for them and um and those people who want to be in political um policy making decisions had better pay attention because i think it is taking place before their eyes I agree. You know, this is not just something that because you're the president of a union and because I'm a staunch liberal progressive Democrat uh, that we want. Uh, This is factual. In 2017, researchers at Georgetown University calculated that a trillion dollar infrastructure program, you talk about more money, uh, would create more than 11 million jobs over 10 years. Uh, Last word to you, uh, Mr. President Conway. We have less than 60 seconds. What do you want to leave our listeners and viewers with today? Look, I think America's at a turning point, and I think together we can begin to speak up and push for change and demand real change. And and once we make a change, then we've got to continue to push for it to be implemented and done the way that works for all of us. And look, I think we can overcome the corruption of this money, but we have to do it together with boots on the ground and sort of take back our democracy. But very well said. And you did it in time. That's a post, sir. Thank you. President Conway, have a wonderful weekend. I hope that you and your family are safe uh, and healthy during this uh, very uh, difficult uh, time of the COVID-19 pandemic. And thank you for all you the workers at the USW and in this nation. Thank you. Uh, that's right. Conway, check out the USW's website, usw.org, and follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Have a wonderful 
add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day.